Welcome to Meydan Podcast. My name is Ahmed Tekeloğlu. I'm the editor-in-chief of Meydan, the Ebu Suleyman Center for Global Islamic Studies at George Mason University. And I'm uh, super happy today to have two mentors, two friends who are joining us, uh, Dr. Gangshan Ha and Moses the Comic. They are both, you know, wonderful human beings and wonderful in what they do in academia, beyond academia, uh, for, for both of them, as they both have their legs in academia and in, in multiple other, um, like, you know, fields of life. And, you know, even though we are geographically close to one another, we are connecting online, which is, I think, a modern phenomenon. But um, Gangshen and, and Moses, um, welcome to Meidan Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a, a blessing and an honor to be sitting here with these two titans of, the, of industry here. Make no mistake. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation, Ahmed. I'm not, I'm no titan whatsoever. And Moses is a, is a real titan. And uh, my name is Guan Tian Ha. I teach uh, religion at Haverford College. Oh, okay. Introductions. Well, I'm Moses the comic. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm a man of many hats, as you all can see. I got a whole plethora of wall of them that my wife has conveniently, you know, hung up on the wall. They've been relegated now. Uh, but I am a, a writer, producer, um, actor, uh, activist, um, sometimes, you know, professor. You know, when I'm when I'm hanging with Suleiman, sometimes professor. Um, I do a little bit of everything. It's interesting because, you know, recently my wife is she's gotten upset that I she wants me to rebrand myself from Moses the comic because she says, you know, it just puts me such in a box. And she's like, you're Moses the creative. So that's I'm Moses the creative. Wow, that's that's wonderful. And and thank you to both of you. Uh, so for our audience who are listening uh, to us, our conversation today will center around, you know, comedy, American Muslims, uh, teaching and and also, you know, activism. Um, being on the ground while doing comedy and where that intersects, you know, with uh, with our understandings of American Muslim landscape, uh, the history of American uh, Islam, and broadly also on stand-up comedy as well, because, um, you know, that intersection and that American Muslim contribution to it has been one aspect. As as mentioned, you know, I think like, you know, our uh, paths have crossed in multiple ways with both of you. And I want to just like, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe start from a point that's that brought the two of you together, more specifically uh, around the course that you co-taught at Haverford College. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, the course, how the two of you met. Uh, what was it like, you know, tell the audience a little bit more about this course that centered on American Muslim comedy and American uh, and, and black Islam in America more specifically. It's funny, I, I was recently riding past the park. I remember to the day, the first time GT ever reached out to me that we spoke on the phone, I was at the park with my sons up in Valley Forge. All right, and Moses, they, one second. I need to, to, to interrupt because we are using multiple names for Gangshin between Suleiman, GT, and as such, we need to onboard our audience to, to these names. Okay, so okay. Either one of you wants to do that? Gangshin, do you want to? GT, well, I, you know, GT is, well, that's what I call him. You know, that's just a shortened version of it. But Suleiman is such a beautiful name as well. Like, how, what, what would you prefer? Let's go with Suleiman. Suleiman. Yeah. Suleiman. So, yeah, I, I feel like he has to start the story because, you know, he was the one that uh, when he first reached out, we had the conversation about um, his research on um, American Muslim uh, comedy, and particularly with the uh, 
with a concentration within like the black Muslim experience. And I was, uh, you know, simultaneously kind of on that track and path of, of, of research and, and just my own identity and experiences. And so we kind of aligned there and um, we discussed, it's so interesting because early on we discussed a lot of the things Alhamdulillah, came to fruition. You know, we talked about doing a comedy festival. We talked about doing a show. We talked about a class. We talked about workshops and different things. Uh, by Allah's mercy, we were able to um, to do all of that. So, you know, I guess you could talk a little bit about what led you to me, and then we can we can go from there. I mean, probably, you know, Ahmed can say more about this because we had this project prior to, you know, our collaboration with Moses, this pr- other project called The Contest of the Fruits, which is basically uh, a project centered on Uyghur Muslims in Western China and Central Asia. And the, the core theme of the project is about Islam and satire and humor. And what we wish to accomplish, Ahmed, me and Aisha, right, 12 Gates, 12 Gates Art in Philadelphia and Slavs and Tatars in, in Berlin, what we wish to do is to really, in a way, to excavate an alternative tradition, a different tradition of satire among Muslims, a different tradition of humor among Muslims that can show a different side of Muslims who are being oppressed, who are being suppressed by state violence. So that was the initial intention. And also because we have this received notion that, you know, Muslims are always against humor, against satire. You have all these controversies around cartoons depicting the prophet. So people have this received notion that Muslims don't know how to make fun, how to tell jokes. So we wish to really, in a way, to to bust all all of these misconceptions about Islam and Muslims. So that's basically the starting point of that other project, the contest of the fruits. And then from there, we begin to explore the wider tradition of satire and humor within Muslims across different places. And that's how I first reached out to, to Moses about doing, you know, a project after the contest of the fruits about the black Islamic tradition, black Islamic humorist, uh, humorous tradition in the U.S. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he reached out. And um, I mean, from there, it, it, I think early on, those early conversations, even the class, I remember initially we were discussing kind of me coming in for a talk you know, uh, as kind of a distinguished guest. And I I think once we started to, um, at least from my perspective, you know, fleshing out a lot of the the content and the histories of of so many of the contributions of the Black Muslims to the landscape of Islam and different things, you know, the the class kind of evolved from there. And I think it was just that perfect bridge of with the academics, with with the information and the facilitation and kind of bringing both of our strengths to uh, the facilitation of that class, I think it was so dynamic, which I thought was so interesting of that class was, was just, you know, focusing on th- that that consciousness of being like a black Muslim, you know, that we're always like, you know, cognizant of that and how we've like shaped our identities and and our experiences and, and, and our relationships kind of around that. And even, you know, I was so blown away by just the, the children, well, not children, the students rather, that signed up for the class. It was just like a melting pot of different races and religions and, and ethnicities, everything. It was so much engagement. And I think a core component of the class that I thought was dynamic was, you know, the performance piece. You know, they 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 learned a lot of the, mm-hmm. of course, the histories, but it was it was very kind of hands-on as far as the engagement with the workshops and you know, when we took them off site and we got them integrated into putting the, sh- the, the show together, not just the production of the, the Muslim Kings of Comedy, which was so groundbreaking in and of itself. But being a part of the experience of the production of that to writing and performing their own 
uh, stand-ups. And um, I was having a conversation with someone recently, you know, where we were at a, a training and they had us do this workshop, this exercise, like an icebreaker type of exercise. And, uh, and one of the things was like, you know, reliving something from your high school or your college years. And it was like the room, we were just so enthralled with going back to these memories. And I thought about this class and like, wow, like, you know, those students one day, you know, that, that, and, and they all expressed that, that that experience was so dynamic for them and that that'll be something one day that they're like, you know, I took this class in college and learned about black Muslim history and, and we performed stand-up comedy and met all these different pioneers. And um, so I think that that, that, that really, really is special. I think one highlight of the class is really that we pay more attention to the, you know, African-American Islamic tradition in the U.S. and more widely, you know, around the world. Because, you know, when we speak of, I mean, especially in North American context or in European context, mm -hmm. when we speak of, you know, Muslim comedy, Muslim comedians, it's very often people of, you know, either South Asian descent or Middle Eastern descent or North African descent. So very often it's a kind of a more or less immigrant Muslim comedy. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you know, in the U.S., we have a longer tradition, a very rich tradition of African-American art, you know, African-American artistic performance mm -hmm. and creation, either music, jazz, hip hop or comedy. And we rarely know that, you know, African-American Muslims in this country have been creating fantastic artworks for the past century. And that has been severely understudied. And our students practically, I don't think, you know, they knew uh, this tradition before they take the class. So I, you know, I'm really yeah. grateful that Moses, mm -hmm. you know, worked with me that we co taught the class together. Yeah. One yeah. other aspect that I wanted to ask is obviously, you know, how referred is right by Philadelphia, um, like on, on the main line. And then there's that, you know, geographic separation and, you know, cultural separation in some ways as well. So what, what are some maybe like, you know, the meaning of like, you know, this taking place so close to Philadelphia and like, you know, the Philadelphia Islam, so to speak, you know, Moses, if I can ask you to speak a little bit about that to our audience, because the, the course was in the fall 22 semester. Two. Yes. This class started in January Spring. 22. Right. Yeah. That's, that's more like near the, near the end of the pandemic, right? Because we're going back in person right. and we're yeah. wearing masks and yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 It was January to May. Um, mm -hmm. one, one thing, first off, just as far as the, the, the geographics of it that I remember speaking with one of the heads of the department was that they had never really had events like outside of first off the school, but even in the city, that was one of the things, some of the trepidation early on with trying to, you know, mm -hmm. find a venue for the show because we were going to do it at the school. So I thought that was so dynamic, you know, being able to have, you know, we had a beautiful venue, World Cafe Live uh, that we partnered with uh, that let us kind of integrate the production in with, with their staff in that, you know, we were in University City, you know, and so it kind of brought the faculty out down to the city, the students and their friends and family down to the city. And I mm -hmm. think that, that that camaraderie that kind of, you know, formed amongst the students, I think was, was really special as well. And for me, kind of being a fly on the wall was always special with with the, not just the integration of, of, of physically coming into the city, but with the history, because I get to be like, as they really learned a lot about the contributions of these pioneers to the, to this, you know, not just a religion, but this art form, I thought was like really, really special. So I'd be in the class with, you know, when they be talking to Bashir Jones or a preacher Moss mm -hmm. and learning about Dick Gregory or Imam Jamil Al-Amin, you know, all the way back to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 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 Sylvia Dioff and, and just different things. And so I thought like kind of being in Philadelphia with the rich history of Philadelphia, 
that ties into the Black Muslim movement from the Dar es Salaam movement to even in the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. There's so much rich history in there. And, 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 and that City Line Avenue is just so interesting because that street literally, you know, separates these two different main lines. And it's like a different cross of cultures, if you will. And, you know, you'll speak to certain people, like even in my and in, in some of my activism and my community work, you know, you'll have people that have been there are people in North Philadelphia, believe it or not, that have not been ever in their life. Older people that have never been to certain areas of the city. There are people in North Philadelphia that's never been to Northeast Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. There are people that I've talked to that live in West Philadelphia, for example, that's never crossed over into Ardmore or, or in the main line. And so. You know, sometimes these kind of culture shifts, even for the students, kind of, you know, integrating them into that, I think is really, really important to what we overall of kind of subverting those stereotypes and, 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 and using comedy, which was so special about this class, because we used humor and comedy, which is, the, in my opinion, the ultimate vehicle to have these sorts of conversations and these integrations, because like I was explaining before, unlike music, you know, music is one of the, which is great. I think that's the, you know, I would say like the second biggest art, you know, a bridge way is because, but when people, what music is like, you, when you go to a concert, you know, you actually pay to hear that artist do those same songs. Like you want to hear the old songs that you know, that you, that you resonate with. If they do new songs, you get upset with that. And so with, com- with comedians, for example, like comedy is so innovative, you know I mean? It, 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 it's, it's the perfect vehicle because it puts people at ease. You know, you're comfortable, you know, you're, you, you could talk about current events and it kind of is like, everybody loves to laugh. Everybody might not like this genre of music. Everybody may not listen to music at all, but everybody kind of loves to laugh. So you know, we kind of use comedy as that vehicle to bridge the experience, not just uh, uh, kinesthetically, you know, what I mean, physically and everything, but really like it, they, they they were learning the history, but like living it too. like that was that that Muslim Kings of Comedy show was so historical. What, you know, for them to be a part of that, you know, bridging that with, you know, us being where the, there's four black Muslim comedians and having Preacher Moss and having Omar Regan and, you know, these kind of pioneers all in this city. That was so monumental, so much so I was actually just about to repost a clip from that night backstage when the four of us were able to kind of live in that moment of what that meant of us being able to headline an event in that venue in this city, you know, what I mean, with this group of people to this group of people. Um, and that that was really that was really big. Yeah, there are quite a few quite a few things which I really appreciate about the class. Uh, one thing is, in a way, it offers really a very broad survey of the entire, you know, African-American uh, humorous scene in North America. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Moses was able to invite all of the major comedians in the field to the classes, and students get the chance to really speak to every one of them, and they can workshop with them on their own comedy scripts, and they observe, you know, close up, firsthand, how these great comedians perform on stage. And they can talk to them, you know, in backstage. So that's one thing which I think is really major about the class. Mm-hmm. And the second is the class. I mean, you know, Moses has such a warm character and he's such eloquent. You know, he brought the students together and all of the students just came out from the pandemic, from isolation. So we just came back from that isolated pandemic life and the class really bring them together and they, they had a sense of community. They had a sense of being together and performing and learning together and learning from each other. And that really a very beautiful moment for me, you know, the king, the Muslim king of comedy, not simply as a learning opportunity, 
but also as a way to build community, to let people feel back together again after the pandemic. Mm. And, I, and I'll add, I remember at the end of the course that GT said how even independent of each other, you know, when they wrote their course evaluations, that that was one of the common themes amongst the evaluations was all of them talking about the camaraderie, the community that they had developed amongst each other, where in these other classes, you may be on autopilot. You know, you go to class and your head is down, you're doing the work. But this class was like they really integrated with each other. And there was an experience that we had at the performance. And, and, and I think this was a testament to the kind of the culture of the community within the class where at the uh, final performances, you know, one of the students got a little bit of stage fright and, and she opted not uh, to do her, her, her piece. But the students rallied, all of the other students rallied around her such that empowered her, you know, edified her, spoke so much words of encouragement to her. And we still, of course, gave her, you know, her award and, and participation for, you know, being a part of the event. But it was such a moment of community um, and camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when we were standing outside, they just was like, I, I will never forget this night. And, and that's the essence of, I think, what, what that did. I mean, that's basically the essence of art, isn't it? Bring people together, mm-hmm. right? Especially comedy. You know, just like what Moses said, it's got this power to to make people relax and come together, right? It's yeah, it's got a very unique power to it, and yeah. and I'm really grateful for that. That's wonderful. During that time, Moses, if I am not mistaken, you were also touring, right? And you've had the the, the major tour in in DC. Um, I think I want to ask you, as someone who came. Like into academia as as a as a teaching, uh, I am assuming this was your first time teaching um, at, um, at 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 the college level. Maybe you were a, a guest lecturer at courses and and as such before, which which you we were just talking before we started recording that just a few days ago, you were um, at a, at at a, at a program with Dr. Sherman Jackson at USC, mm-hmm. uh, among other uh, stand up comedians. What were your insights? bringing this maybe like an everyday life into academia because in academia we always speak about bridging the gap between academia and the non-experts you know the non-academic sort of like you know uh, audiences mm-hmm. were you able to, to to recognize certain tendencies that you thought like you know you would bring in uh, additional insights because like you know as far as i remember there was also textual readings in the classes that that coupled with both your instruction and uh, and the guests' insights. Uh, so I'm curious to hear about your perspective on that and how maybe the class also may have added to your repertoire when you perform um, after mm-hmm. the class. What was interesting in my history that a lot of people don't know the full breadth of, of my my history and experiences, which just going into what my you know what this that whole rebranding of Moses the Creative, is because comedy was always, of course, what the passion was, but was always the vehicle. But you know, my my background is actually in in childhood education, early childhood education. You know, I was the former executive director of the Boys and Girls Club in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but before that, you know, years ago, we started a program um, in North Philadelphia called Connection Train and Mentoring Program. And it was a mentoring uh, program for children of incarcerated parents, where at that time, it's even more now, but at that time, it was over 250,000 children in Pennsylvania that had a parent or guardian incarcerated. I think mm-hmm. the numbers now are even over 350,000. Um, yeah. But And so in that particular city, there was so much cultural 
and, and mental disenfranchisement in, in that particular core area that uh, we had gotten a grant to do a mentoring program to target those particular children. A lot of them came from disenfranchised homes and communities and was living with grandparents and didn't have adequate resources for, for food. So we had a mentoring program. And um, so I ran that program and we were, it was almost like a, a local Big Brothers Big Sisters. And that sprung into uh, me actually going to uh, the Boys and Girls Club. Then I ran after school programs for um, for youth at Belmont Academy Charter School. So, so this class was the first time of me working at the collegiate level with, you know, with older children, which the facilitation was was able, I think, to be so much more dynamic as well, because it was very, when I say performative, I was able to really connect with the students. And I think for me, I've always used comedy as the vehicle in whatever industry that I'm in, whether I'm giving a lecture or whether I'm, you know, facilitating a workshop or uh, for anything to really just connect with people, because that's what is it is, getting a message across to people, right? You know, my favorite saying is innovation is rewarded, but execution is worship. You know, my father used to say that to us when we were children. Innovation is rewarded, but execution is worship. And as I got older, I recognized that innovation is creativity, you know, and that's pretty much saying, you know, being creative, you'll be rewarded, right? You can come up with a great concept. You can have a funny joke. You can, you know, write a great script or, or create a great syllabus for a class, right? And be rewarded for it. Um, but execution is the only thing that separates those who are successful from those that could have been successful um, because they kind of physically did to, did the work. So I've always kind of had this idea of using my creativity as a comedian really to, you know, get my message across, um, but to execute. You know, when I'm on stage, I'm giving all sorts of dawah and I've used stage to kind of springboard me into these other platforms where I can, um, you know, where I'm talking about these things in my comedic act in my experiences. And because of that, a byproduct of that has been, you know, meetings like, you know, meeting Suleiman has led to these sorts of courses and things. And um, so whether that's just the authenticity, speaking to the authenticity of being who you are, no matter, I, I spoke in this, on that Sherman Jackson thing last night, I spoke about uh, being so influenced by people like Russell Peters, you know, be, people like Joe Coy, these are comedians. And these are comedians who I felt had the perfect bridge of bringing people into their cultures, right? The mainstream market into their cultures. And they did it in a way, use comedy as a way in which to teach them about, you know, uh, their, their, their religious cultures, their parents, their customs and beliefs. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's hilarious. We, we resonate with it because we put that lens against our own experiences. But within that, we're receiving really so much dawah, so much information, so much knowledge. And I'm like, okay, wow. You know, I, I, my voice I know is powerful, whether I'm standing at a, at a Karen Engage event, you know, speaking to um, at City Hall or, or you know, facilitating a class or, or touring, you know, is really kind of using my voice to um, uh, and my creativity to, to get the message across. And, and, and I don't know if that answered your question, but it really is just the, the, yeah. authentic, the authenticity of, of, uh, of who you are and, and your experiences. Mm hmm. I'll come to, to Gangshan to you uh, for a second now, too. Were there any concerns institutionally or otherwise, like in your mind, like in it, especially, I mean, you're, you're dealing with college students and there might be sensibilities. And even though, you know, they are adults, not children now, uh, but like, you know, from the themes and, and as such, because comedy can really take things to, to every direction. Right. So whether you plan it or not. What was like, you know, getting the course on the books process like? I know Haverford's overall is a supportive sort of setup in terms of creativity, but talk to us a little bit about that. 
absolutely. I think at the time when I proposed the class to Haverford, they were they were having this campaign to well, they're just starting this campaign to reach out to Philadelphia, and to in a way you know strengthen Haverford's connection to the city. So they're trying to explore ways to to expand. You know, student activity and the class into the city. So this really, you know, the class came at the right time for Haverford. But I also had multiple, I wouldn't say concerns, but you know, multiple things I have to think think about before I start the class. First is, you know, we know that you know, comedy could be fun and could be controversial at the same time,、mm-hmm. and especially when you touch on questions relating to race or religion or gender and sexuality, and things can really get heated. Pretty quickly, and th- I think this is before、uh, the Dave Chappelle controversy <laughs> with the closer.、Yeah. But you know that was quite inconsistent with the controversies that comedy could get into over the years. And、right? so、I was talking Dave Chappelle, by the way. I want to talk、yeah. about that as a Muslim comedian himself. I just、right? saw him two nights ago. His most recent special, and it's it's polarizing to say the least. Oh really? <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's very interesting. But yeah. Right. So, so basically, I was having this concern, and and secondly is because you know we the class took place right right you know before the pandemic ended, and and I was worried about you know paying Moses fairly. To be honest, I mean this is the, one of the major concerns I had with the institution because Moses was basically sacrificing his time with the tour, and he was really he devoted his entire his entire. Four months actually to the class itself. You know, came to have a campus every week, twice a week actually to teach the class,、mm-hmm. right? And he was investing so much time and effort in the class itself.、So、I was worried that I wasn't paying him fairly.、Mm-hmm. So, so, I, but you know, thank goodness, eventually I was able to, you know, combine. Different small grants given by Haverford,、mm-hmm. and to combine his money together to pay Moses, I wouldn't say fairly, but relatively not as fairly as I initially thought, and and then you know we were able to pay some honorarium to the performing comedians as、mm-hmm. well, but that has been a bit of a struggle throughout、yeah. the semester, and I had this plan as well. I think Moses knows this as well that we wish to you know convert the class into something long term、mm-hmm. at Haverford. To build on this, to you know, develop the course into something more interesting and more expensive in the future,、mm-hmm. and but you know, the financial side, institutional side of the matter is still something we have to think about. Sure, sure. Yeah, of course. Wonderful. I want to to also talk a little bit, you know, beyond you know the the class、uh, with both of you on your views, but to go back to that pin that we just you know put. For example, I mean, you have explored, you know. F- Muslim comedians that maybe right so in the minds of the students and maybe in the minds of many Muslim Americans may not have fit quote unquote you know the Muslim sort of you know label right so that is you know some of our refining of what happens like Dave Chappelle is is is, is a good example for that. Tell me a little bit about, like, you know, how that engagement in the class and talking about comedy in class, you know,、uh, took place. Even including like reactions to to Dave Chappelle's on comedy from Chappelle Show to the the specials and to the Netflix era、uh, as well. If I may uh, uh, add another concern of mine before the class, which is related to Ahmed's question. I think Moses has more to say on this. I actually worried. I feared before the class, because we had this received the notion, especially in America, of this 
you know, the, a more or less racist notion of the performing black body on stage, mm-hmm. right? You have a long uh, tradition, uh, uh, like the minstrel tradition. Yeah. You have a long tradition that you know the black performing body on stage, which is which became a trope for racism in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So I was I would fear that you know our discussion, our class discussion of black comedy, black Muslim comedy will veer in that direction. But I think eventually, I think we succeeded to show, well, to, to show the side of the black humorous tradition without falling to the same trap. I think Moses has, you know, can say more on this. Um, <clears throat> well, so it's, it's a very complex issue. And, and, and like with anything, I, I only speak from even with my platform and my state, you know, when I'm on stage and my social media and everything, it's always, I always make sure to stress that it's from the perspective of my experiences, because my experiences is that black Muslim man in America is completely different from any other person's experience, you know. Um, and so when you talk about like, you know, we were talking about on the podcast the other day with Dr. Jackson, the question came up of the Mo'amar line where he said, you know, there's no such thing as Muslim comedy. And it opened up the, you know, the, the conversation around that term, you know, a Muslim comedian. Right. And I'm going to bridge this to what you were just talking about, about that, that, you know, being being cognizant of that, that menstrual experience of, of, of old, where this was a this was a time where that was really the only pipeline for black artists to be able to get into entertainment, which was to play these characters that were intentionally over sexualized, intentionally, you know, over, you know, they showed them as being very, you know, um, um, promiscuous or big lips and eyes. They're very ugly. They're very angry all the time or, or like clowns. You know, there was, it was ways to demean and, and denigrate them. So from the black experience, from having mm-hmm. had that experience, is like that's all that's only an experience and, and a byproduct of the traumas or triggers of that that only other that people within that can have because another person outside of that wouldn't have that experience. So I'm all so what we talked about is as Muslims, first and foremost, we always should be cognizant of our representations of Islam. Just when we're in public, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? A Muslim's character should be of such where a person should be able to to, to delineate that there's like, this is a Muslim, you know, like Van Jones said that, you know, the best neighbors to live next to in, in America would be a Muslim because of these things. And so when people think about the Muslims, well, I think we have a duty as Muslims first and foremost to uphold that. Now as black Muslims, and I can only speak from this, from this perspective, one of the plights of black Muslims is always having to prove or contribute to your identity of being Muslim. It's like, well, are you a real Muslim? How did you become Muslim? Oh, in America, where? Muhammad Ali and all these different sorts of people. So we always wear this other identity, too, where I got to understand I'm a black Muslim in this space that, you know, when I say salamu alaikum or I might say something, maybe people are listening for a little extra tajweed or this or, you know, scrutinies of this. If you say you're on this platform or what? That's always there. Then just me being a black man in the space is always there that let me not be too aggressive. Let me keep my tone. Let me not do. Th- I was even the other day when I was about to go into the store and I had some Adidas slides on and and so comfortable. And something just even though I was going in there to pick up a thousand dollar order, I said, let me go ahead and put my, my boots and shoes on. It's like, I don't even want the perception of here we go with this. Well, yeah, I went into a furniture mm-hmm. store, what have you. And I had these slides on and I was like, you know, I know my service and my experience will be different because of the visual orientation people have of black people. Um, and then that, that people have of even Muslim when, you know, a Muslim is, is when it's introduced that a Muslim is in a space. So being a Muslim comedian, when, when you hear that term from me, it's always that my platform, my experiences, my artwork 
always has to be representative of Islam in some way that I recognize, I'm cognizant of what I put out. People could, you know, articulate and process of, and associate to Islam, which is what I do respect about people like Dave Chappelle, who will say, listen, I'm a Muslim, but I drink and smoke. So I don't talk about being a Muslim because I don't want drinking and smoking associated with that. Boom, boom, bit. So we talk about a Muslim comic. Right. That's different for different people. I don't I, and, and, and I didn't and I can't speak for Mo'amar. So I don't under, I don't know what context it was as far as are we talking about the person or are we talking about the content? Because when you hear Muslim comic comedy, you're like, well, what is that? Is it halal comedy? Well, what's halal? Is, is it permissible? Because like what I said on that live is the same set that I would do at a super Muslim comedy show is the same set that I will do and have done at a punchline comedy club or a helium comedy club. Because for me, being Muslim is just this, my identity of being, you know I me. Mean? I'm on stage, I'm a black Muslim. It, you know what I mean? It's like the famous speech of Malcolm X, the, the bullet in the bullet. What he's talking about in that speech is in essence that what we do in our homes is like, that's just a blanket thing. Of course we are those things at home, but like on the pulpit, no one looks at a Dr. Martin Luther King or, 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 or Reverend Powell or anything. And it's like, well, this is a you know Christian this or a Christian that. It's like, as the black Muslim, it's always the first thing, even before the, the message is disseminated. So we always got to come from that perspective. And um, so me being Muslim on stage is like, what I talk about, my material, I know is already going to be extra scrutinized. So when I, mm-hmm. you know, create things, I do feel like a responsibility that we, we, as in the Black Muslim artists, can and can't do certain things, whether that's talked about or not. Just we can and can't do certain things that other, you know, not people of color artists can do. Like the God, and these are my my guys. I love Mo Amr. I love Rami. I, I was on Rami season three. Shout out to Rami and Hulu and Amir Suleiman and the whole crew over there. Dynamic, fantastic ex- experience and crew. Um, uh, you know, but certain 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 themes and things are just not things you know that I know in my experiences that I don't put you know put into my content. You know what I mean? And I don't. And I feel like it, you know you know as Muslims too is like I, this bridge between like th- these both worlds, these Muslim markets and this mainstream world, and trying to like. Why can't we create the experiences that people have, the real life experiences that Muslims have? You never see the black Muslim represented in mainstream. Whenever you see a Muslim represented, it's always the Arab Muslim that's the terrorist or the or the female Muslim sister who's struggling with hijab or not wearing hijab at all. And that's pushed. But you don't see the black Muslim doctors. You don't see the black. Like I said at the care um, thing, I'm like. In a city like Philadelphia, we the Muslims are your bus drivers. They're your doctors and your lawyers. And the black Muslims, you know, they're we're in all these different aspects, but yet we're never represented within um, within mainstream. Which shout out to Rami again because even in season three, Rami has been one of them shows like they show representations of black Muslims. You know, what I mean, you have black Muslims mm-hmm. in there, and actually in that season that I did, the first the first um, role that I that they wanted me to go out for for Rami was a black Muslim you know, guy, they're kind of like checking Rami about something. And, you know, so, you know, there, there, there are those experiences, but, and I don't mean to be long winded here, but I know it's a complex answer is that the truth of it is the, the authenticity of what they're showing is their real experiences. Because mm-hmm. when you look at a Mo Amr and you look at a Rami and you look at, a, you know, the Muslims, you know, that came to the, this country is like that was their experience. My experience growing up in the black Muslim community was much more disciplined. It was much more, you know, Sharia law. And we were just, go, you know, going off of what was introduced for us for Islam. So that was mm-hmm. like 
there was very taboo things that was like, those are no, no things. Like we stand up for our women. We, we speak out against injustices. We cleaning up the corners. Like that was the, the only visual identity of Muslims in America at one point were black Muslims. So then when the immigrant Muslim comes here and, and there's a big, huge population of that, there was more like very kind of subdued, a lot more assimilation. You know, they had their communities and stuff, but they wasn't ruffling feathers, which I understand because it's like, this is in our country. We're here, you know what I mean? To, to make a better life for our families. And that may have been some of their experiences where they were exposed to those things. And we were too, don't, don't get me wrong, in the black Muslim community, but it was a mm. lot more like, you, we didn't know about none of that stuff. And that was stuff that was just like straight bit. That was never the perception that was given to the public. And so now I think that shaped me as an artist. Because I'm like, yeah. no, I can't post that. I can't do this. Or I can't be associated with that because then I'm a, I'm ashamed all of Islam. And then it's going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. look at this black Muslim over here just, you know, acting up. So I, I didn't mean to get into a whole tangent about it. But it's, it's so complex when you talk about mm-hmm. being, you know, what's Muslim comedy? It's just like, you know, when I'm on stage again, I'm, I'm representing Islam. So I'm just doing clean comedy. I'm doing family friendly stuff that the whole generation of family can come out to. I want the grandchild, the parent and the grandparent to be able to sit there and they're not in an environment where you have to listen to profanity or worry about, you know, serving alcohol. I mean, we, we do that stuff, you know, performing in those clubs and stuff. But at least I know when I'm on stage and what comes out of my mouth, you know, I'm representing Islam and just me as a black man. You know, I'm not I'm not bringing, you know, any sorts of stereotypes to those things. or I try not to, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is exactly why we taught the class together, isn't it? I mean, I came Mm -hmm. to the same point from a different direction Mm -hmm. because, I mean, on the one hand, you have a kind of you have a very long tradition of criticizing comedy and laughter among Muslims in Islam, whether laughter itself is halal or haram. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, when the comedy was created by a black Muslim whose Muslim identity has always been questioned by other Muslims mm-hmm. come from, coming from presumed centers of Islam, either North Africa or the Middle East, right? That comedy and uh, that identity of the black Muslim becomes even more questioned yeah. by Muslims from yeah. elsewhere. So, so, you know, I mean, like Moses said, there's always this kind of added pressure to prove that you are a real Muslim mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a black Muslim. But as a black Muslim comedian, that's even yeah. more pressure, right? And to prove to others that you are a genuine Muslim. Yeah. And I think that space really is a very unique space for creativity, Absolutely. for artistic invention. Yeah. So that's why I got really interested in this and I found Moses. No, mm. that's, 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 that's wonderful. And I know that Moses, you are soon performing at the Riyadh, right? So like, you know, the Dar Network and mm-hmm. like, you know, this is this main event in, in Philadelphia. Um, so I'm curious uh, to, I, I hope to be there, uh, but, but I'm also curious to, um, to like, you know, that the dynamic itself is also interesting, right? So, um, yeah, the Riyadh is, um, you know, this is the 40th year. The Riyadh is something that was started by Imam Jamil Al-Amin formerly H. Wright Brown, the, you know, civil rights leader, pioneer, um, that they started in Atlanta. And the concept was, again, you know, back in the 80s, really just to, you know, have like an outdoor recreation sort of in, in a nutshell, like the, you know, the Olympics, but for the Muslim community. And it all came up under, you know, this was a collection of masjids along the East Coast that came up under one leadership. You know, this thing called the Majlis Ashura, which was like, you know, all of these Majlises coming under, you know, a single leadership. And let's do something for our communities because this is the legacy of our community. And the Riyadh, I think in the, in the, in the early 80s, you know, the, the inaugural Riyadh 
And then it started going from city to, to city. It was in Cleveland, Ohio, and then it would be in Detroit and uh, Philadelphia, Atlanta. And so this year, the past two years, that it's been off for the pandemic. And this is the first year that has been back live. And it's in Philadelphia this year. And uh, we're very, very excited to be hosting this. And uh, we're, you know, we have Mahmoud Abdul Raouf coming. We did a big sneaker gala on Friday night. It's a whole weekend of activities and recreation for the family. Um, Friday night, we have Juma and then um, a sneaker gala that we have uh, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf and Bill Keese, Abdul Qadir coming and and uh, Muxin, uh, the, the Muslim boxer and Jer- different Muslim athletes kind of talking about on a panel, talking about perseverance and overcoming adversity mm-hmm. and different things being Muslim. And then it's a whole, all day of events on Saturday with basketball clinics and workshops with Mahmoud and Bill Keys for the kids and Ironman competitions and tug of wars and all sorts of games and things and, and, and tournaments. Um, and then Saturday night, we got Showtime at the Riata um, with myself and uh, Omar Regan and Nadira Pierre, um, Preacher Moss. And uh, I think we have a poet coming, uh, my man, uh, Ibrahim Jabber, who's he's a he's a Muslim athlete as well that, you know, played in the, in, mm-hmm. in the league and. And now he's a dynamic, uh, world-renowned, a poet, spoken word artist. So, um, and then Sunday is like a barbecue and what have you. So this is, you know, community events, man. Just really, you know, giving back to the community and the legacy of that. And and like I said at the press conference the other day, is like, you know, we, we keep hearing this term with the youth of like they're the leaders of tomorrow. They, they're the leaders of today. You know, these kids yeah. and youth—they're the leaders right now. They're, you know, they know the technology. And then they, my, my son, well, he's 13 years old, and he's just so astute. And, uh, and smart. And um, and I just realized that, you know, we got to listen a lot more to what their experiences are, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we got an obligation to use our platforms to curate experiences for them where I think that they can thrive and kind of be their best selves. And um, that's why, you know, I work with these sorts of organizations to to try to bring that about. So. No, no, absolutely. And um, just a shout out also to one of our projects at, at Mason that's led by Dr. Amina uh, McLeod Aldean, uh, the Black American Muslim Internationalism Project supported by the Lewis Foundation. And, and there are a few episodes that's from uh, Dr. Amina that uh, our listeners can find on Maidan podcast. And we will release some more that, that looks at, you know, the broader Black Muslim experience and uh, the transatlantic ties as well. A lot to unpack there. And, and definitely the Riyadh is, is one sort of like, you know, such a rich sort of, you know, place for uh, all of that to be showcased. We are coming closely, um, slowly to the end of our time. Um, but I wanted to ask, uh, as we close, to, for both of you to find an opportunity to talk to us about what's cooking for you, what's in the kitchen, and you know what are some next steps that you know both myself and our audience can look for. I know you're involved in multiple projects, you know, at once. Uh, but uh, Sleiman, do you want to go first? Uh, I know that you're on sabbatical at, at Haverford and you've been hard at work and traveling and uh, and all. Uh, give us a little bit glimpse and, and a taste of, um, of of what's what's coming up. In addition to, of course, your sound of salvation, you're, you're, you've been still doing the, the book talks, but you are hard at work for the next project as well. Um, so that our audience can also get a taste of your expertise and, and focus areas um, in addition to, to this team. Absolutely. I think my, my work has slightly shifted away from my previous book because my, my own training was in anthropology, which means, you know, study of contemporary human beings and societies. But now I have shifted slightly away into medieval history and partly thanks to the class with Moses, actually, because I got 
Agard interested in the role of black sailors and black laborers in facilitating Muslim travels across the Indian Ocean from East Africa, Southern Arabia, all the way to Southeast Asia and Southern China. And, and interestingly, you find really a kind of multiple roles played by these laborers and sailors. They were also entertainers. They could have been poets and singers and even comedians as well. So you have, you know, the multiple roles played by probably the same group of people who are dark-skinned and they traveled internationally as laborers. So you don't really find, you know, proper historical records about these people, but you find depictions of them in poetry, in literature. Mm-hmm. So that's something which I'm currently looking at. And, and, and probably, you know, there will be maybe one or two books in the making on this topic. One is specifically about transnational nautical labor in medieval times. And the second is about the kind of cross-pollination between art, poetry, and, and transnational labor mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, fascinating. And, and look forward to, to both outputs and, uh, and engaging more. Thank you so much, and uh, and Moses, what's we next? Class, you talk about Riyadh? We we do need we need at least one other we class. We need probably two, it, three. Yeah, we can't just take the belt like that. We got to defend the belt now. Okay, we got we another we must, we must, and we need we need more belts, not just one. We need more belts oh. as well. And we're gonna yes. get here yes. to help us find some money to fund this class, so we can yeah, you know I mean, make sure that it gets done. You know, that just reminds me, there might be an opportunity because Haverford just have a new collaboration with the American University in Shajar mm-hmm. in UAE. And I'm trying to look at, you know, whether there's a way for us to, to refashion the class into something that can fit into that framework. Mm-hmm. And then we can take students with us at the end of the class to Shajar, to UAE. This is, this, is, this is a good model, actually, for, you know, really even for a presentation, like a tour. Exactly. You know what I mean, like, like, you know, like, like Mustafa Briggs and with the, with his concept with Beyond Bilal, which is an amazing uh, workshop does on the history of, uh, you know, these, 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 these figures beyond what we know of just Bilal. Like, I mean, there, there was a book that came out last year, or maybe earlier this year with that title, Beyond Bilal. Yeah, that was Mustafa Briggs. That's his book. Oh yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's just like live lecture tour. So even this class, when I think about a lot of the uh, what we were doing, I mean, even the syllabus was just so again, it was so unique and dynamic with every the books that they were reading. Um, but as a, as kind of like a live condensed um, uh, presentation, I think would that has legs as well. You know, we could t- we could take yes. the road, uh, Suleiman. Yeah. I mean, our okay comedy show. May, if, if it's okay with you, we may link the the syllabus um, to to the episode so that you know those who are listening absolutely can engage with the um, the syllabus and I can see yeah. how, how rich it was and, and the way that we structured um, the course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Moses, what's next for you? We spoke about the Riyadh. Uh, yeah, Riyadh is coming up. Um, I have the Islamic Festival is, is happening in Philadelphia as well. I'll be doing that. This this is their thirtieth annual uh, festival, which is a huge, large festival they do down on Penn's Landing every year. And growing up in Philadelphia, this was like the place, kind of outside of of our two Eids, where the Muslims would kind of come together and have a presence. It used to be at one point you know, uh, thousands of uh, Muslims uh, on flood and down on Independence Park. Um, so that's coming up. Yeah. I'll be uh, hosting that. And we have Neelam and a bunch of great artists, Jamaluddin Takuma, jazz, a great jazz artist and the Universal African Drum um, Ensemble. They're having a parade and it's vendors all day. So that's that's going to be fabulous. Then the Riyadh is, is also coming up um, 
right after that, see jam packed in um, July because we got the Riata. I'll be in Chicago for the Black Muslim Psychology Conference. They have a, a panel I'll be doing out there with uh, Muxin and some other people. Um, and then we have the um, uh, the Riata and the, oh Canada. I'll be going to Muslim Fest in Canada, out in Mississauga. That's in July as well. And then. Um, some actually so something and then you guys are getting this exclusive right here okay this is just this exclusive just for the mind pocket um but i'm really working on i've been so uh inspired by my my recent umrah trips i was fortunate to i made my first umrah in 2018 uh just opened up the doors and then i uh, went back in september of last year and um when i got back from my second trip i had an uncle who um asked me to make it on his behalf he was you know in, in hospice at the time and uh, and couldn't make it. And he said, with the condition, he said, look, I'll pay for you to make Umrah for me with the condition that you go during Ramadan. And long story short, I booked it to go in the first week of Ramadan. And that sprung into me uh, uh, bringing the whole family, you know, my mom and all of my siblings. It was like, you know, the imam, it was like 11 of us that I led a trip uh, to Umrah. And um, and then that uncle subsequently passed away like a week before, you know, we all wound up making Umrah on his behalf, alhamdulillah. Uh, but that trip really kind of showed me too. And um, subsequently, like, the opportunities that are there for so many people that, that don't, that don't know a lot of our, you know, when I talk about my own community, people who don't understand that this is a possibility for you to do this because they don't know the tools and the resources to make home or how simple it is. You know, so as I talk to people and I'm, and I'm recognizing that they don't even have the resources and the information. Um, so I'm starting something um, with some other influencers to start trying to uh, do these influencer um, Umrah experiences where we're going to take, you know, uh, 10 to 12 people um, on Umrah trips. So myself, uh, like Village Auntie, Omar Regan, um, Imam Siraj Wahaj, we have these commitments from where we can, I, what I would love to do is, you know, we, we, we get sponsors on board and we actually are taking these people it's free of cost and taking some um, some Umrah trips from our communities and things. So inshallah, man, that's that's something that we're working on. Um, and then also another thing, I'm opening up, inshallah, we've made the intention, I, I have all the licenses, I'm opening up a halal meat store as well in uh-huh. Philadelphia. Yeah, my um, growing up, my father had one of the first halal meat stores in West Philadelphia called Your Community Store that he opened in the 90s, I think 96 or 97. And his vision on that property was really some a legacy for uh, the family. And over the years, the store closed and fell into disrepair. And um, and that's what one of the things that I made the knee out for to uh, for, to bring that store about. And the law just put all the pieces in place. And so we got all the licensing back reinstated for the commercials and uh, property. And I got a pipeline for the halal meat and the whole nine yards, inshallah. So pretty soon we're going to be as your community. YCS halal, you know, inshallah, for that corridor in West Philadelphia, you know, there's no halal you know, meet for that community. So I want to bring that back to that community, which is my father's legacy. Inshallah. As always, multiple hats, as, as you have mentioned, even though our audience can't see your hat, your cool hat, you know, literally and, um, uh, and effectively. Uh, thank you so much to, to both of you for um, giving your time, giving your insights uh, to this conversation. I'm really, really grateful be hosted in this episode of the Maidan podcast, Gangshan Ha, Suleiman uh, from Haverford College Religion Department, and Moses the Comic, uh, Let My People Laugh, right? So one of the, the brands um, to talk about their photo course on Black Islam, Black comedy, uh, and stand-up comedy at Haverford College, what they are doing beyond that, 
and the very colorful uh, research, activism, and uh, an activity that they are engaged in. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us.